Dementia Researcher podcast, talking careers, research, conference highlights, and so much more. Welcome to the Dementia Researcher podcast. I'm Dr. Annalise Ramon Filipiak. I'm a neuropsychologist and assistant professor at the Research Program on Cognition and Neuromodulation-Based Interventions here at the University of Michigan. And today, I have the pleasure of hosting Diane Tai and Rajiv Ahuja, authors of a pivotal report from the Milken Institute. The report, titled Guiding the Care Journey, was published a few months ago, and it addresses the critical challenges and presents innovative solutions for dementia care in the U.S., with a particular focus on the role of the care navigator. Of course, we know that many of our listeners are in the U.K. and other parts of the world, but the important recommendations in the report are relevant to all of us as we face similar healthcare system challenges. Now, most countries are expected to see a rise in dementia cases in the coming years. In fact, the World Health Organization says that the 55 million cases that were found in 2019 will increase to 139 million by 2050. So our discussion today will shed light on what our guests have uncovered about how we can improve care for people living with dementia and their families, and how people that deliver that care are important. So let's start by meeting our guests. Hi, Diane, and hello, Raj. Hi, Annalise. How are you both doing? Well, good, thank you. Diane, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Okay, um, so I lead the Milken Institute Center for the Future of Aging, where we work at the intersection of healthy longevity and financial security. We do that through research, convening, multi-sector partnerships, and the elevation of high-impact policies and practices. I've been here for almost three years, and before that, I was um, a senior partner at Georgetown University's School of Business, doing working in a group called Business for Impact. I spent time at ARP, ARP Services, a board profit subsidiary of ARP, and then it saved the children. And then I spent about a decade at American Express. So I love working across the public, private, nonprofit sectors, and that's what this job is. Fantastic! Thanks so much for being here. Rush, yeah, how you? yeah, thanks, Annalise. I appreciate this opportunity. Um, I work closely with Diane in our Center for the Future of Aging here at the Milken Institute, and um, work you know work with Diane to manage our Alliance to Improve Dementia Care, uh, which is a broad-based coalition of over 130 dementia-focused organizations that are really looking to improve how healthcare and long-term care services are delivered. To people at risk for dementia and living dementia as well as their families. Um, I've been at the Milken Institute for about four and a half years and come uh, from a bra- uh, background in healthcare policy, um, doing consulting for pharmaceutical companies, for health plans, um, military health, all with the goal of trying to increase access to care services and products for, uh, for everyone. Um, so I'm happy to be here to talk about this uh, this topic. Appreciate it. Well, thanks for being here, both of you, and sharing your vast expertise with us. Diane, let's start with a, an easy question. Could you give us a high-level intro about this report, how it came about, and maybe why you think this topic is so important? Sure. So as Raj mentioned, we have this Alliance Triple Dementia Care of over 530 um, multi-sector, you know, multi-stakeholder uh, members. Um, and our steering committee in particular, we consult with them from time to time. We meet bi-monthly. And, um, you know, we were really asking them 
what is the area that we as a cross-collaborative group should be focused on? And the topic of workforce, a dementia-capable workforce came up. Um, Raj was instrumental in getting our alliance off the ground. I joined in December 2020. So we've been around for about three years. And our steering committee just represents this whole cross-sector. So we all agree that workforce shortages is a critical area of concern. And so we set out to look at what that what does that mean? We had a working group. We do our roundtable convening. It's a you know private session, um, Chatham House rules. We come up with consensus-based recommendations. It's peer-reviewed, and that's how we release the report. But this topic of dementia care navigator and that role was front and center as we did our, you know, went through our process. And then this really came to light as a key area, game-changing role for dementia care. Awesome. One of the things I thought that was really unique about your uh, Dementia Care Alliance and maybe the steering committee is the input that you get, too, from people living with dementia and their families. Absolutely. So for each of our um, private roundtables, we start out with someone either living with dementia or a caregiver caring for a loved one dementia, really just giving kind of a, you know, and sharing the experience. And it really then just sets the tone for why we're all here. Um, what I'm amazed at is the number of people, uh, members, including myself, who've had a personal experience um, caring for a loved one de- with dementia. I lost my dad to Alzheimer's 11 years ago, um, and it still feels really raw after all this time. And this is why we're so motivated to improve that care journey for the people living with dementia as well as their family caregivers. Yeah, it's very clear that you both bring that passion, that personal passion to this work. Uh, Raj, the report highlights a significant challenge in meeting these growing demands for dementia care, especially given this expected doubling of individuals living with Alzheimer's disease and related dementias by 2040. What are some key strategies to address the shortage in what you call the dementia-capable workforce, the medical providers with specialized training in dementia care? Thanks, Annalise. Um, I think, you know, you're absolutely right. Uh, Here in the U.S., our health care system, our long-term care system is really facing significant challenges right now in meeting this growing demand for uh, dementia care. Um, I think especially uh, the statistic that you cited in terms of doubling of the population um, is really going to impact how services are delivered um, in cities, in rural populations, in underserved populations. Uh, low-income populations, all are going to be impacted by um, the shortage of um, a workforce. And so I think when you think of this growing population and the capacity constraints that, that come with it, you know, the, the, the workforce is really going to be at the center of efforts to, to improve dementia care. And we know that moving forward, there's going to be a shortage of primary care physicians, geriatricians, specialists and direct and direct skilled care workers. Um, I think there's there's statistics that show, um, you know, over the next couple of decades, there's going to be there's going to need to be a quadrupling of the number of geriatricians in order to meet this demand. And so I think, you know, it is it requires a little bit more foresight in terms of filling that need uh, for this growing population. Um, when what we really need is, you know, a comprehensive, dementia-capable and culturally sensitive workforce, you know, that's highly coordinated, um, that's trained specifically in dementia care, 
and can recognize symptoms and make the necessary community referrals and are familiar with the available tools and resources that are out there. Um, you know, we know that this dementia-capable workforce is going to need to represent a broad range of interests. Um, so, you know, how do we go about doing that? You know, I don't think it's going to be a re it's going to be realistic to train as many you know primary care physicians and geriatricians that we need. So, how do we go about um, addressing this? We I mean, think you know at its very core, we really need to start uh, expanding the definition of what that workforce is. Um, you know, we need to include everyone that interacts with high-risk individuals and families living with dementia. Um, that's either a current healthcare professional, a future healthcare professional, including nurses, uh, community health workers, and long-term care workers. And I think even family members, family caregivers are all going to need to be part of this expanded definition of uh, workforce. And so, you know, in our report, we outline a number of strategies also to increase uh, the dementia-capable workforce, and we really focus a lot on efforts to increase um, recruiting, increase training, and increase retention of the dementia-capable workforce. Um, and I would just kind of note that, you know, with the growing shortage of healthcare professionals, there are some bright spots there also. We know that certain uh, certain professions within the healthcare industry are growing. Um, nurse practitioners in particular is a growing field. Uh, physician associates are a growing field. Social workers are a growing field. And so these are all right uh, associations to recruit from, um, to train and really bring into this uh, dementia um, uh, conversation in, in terms of what's worst. Fantastic. I think that's a great lead into my next question. It may be useful for our listeners, given the broad listenership of the podcast, to hear a little more about this role, as it might not be quite so common outside the U.S. So, Diane, the report defines care navigators or care navigation as individualized assistance to patients and caregivers to facilitate access to quality health and psychosocial care. Maybe you could tell us a bit more about the role of care navigators, what settings they might work in, um, what are some personal or professional qualifications of the care navigator? Sure. Thanks, Annalise. So um, absolutely, this care navigation role, um, I want to start by just saying it's, it's, a, it's a role that's actually common in cancer care, diabetes care. Um, and what we did is we had a prior report to this one called Scaling Comprehensive Dementia Care Models. And in that, we focused on um, the eight core elements that define a comprehensive dementia care model, of which there are six evidence-based ones. We talk about them in not only the Scaling Comprehensive Dementia Care Report, but we also reference them um, in this new report on guiding the care journey. So they include the eight core elements, include things like caregiver support, medication management, care coordination, ongoing care planning. Um, and we looked at the different models where some are telephonic-based or online-based, some are community or home-based, and some are clinically-based. You can just see that range. Um, and I'll, I'll mention the six. Um, most of them focus within an academic setting. So there's a UCLA dementia care program, the University of California um, San Francisco Care Ecosystem, which is the telephone-based one, Emory University's Integrated Memory Care 
model, Benjamin Rose Institute, and then the Econazi Health One at Indiana University, and then mine, Maximizing Depends at Home, that comes out of John Hopkins University. These are all awesome models. But what we looked at is these eight core elements, while necessary, we don't think they're all created equal. So we kind of took a step back and said, what among these eight could be actually game-changing if we could get this one role focused on? So it was that care coordination role. So someone who's actually helping the person living with dementia and the family caregiver, that care dyad that we refer to, navigate our complex health system, our healthcare system, and the social care system, all the types of social care services that are outside the medical setting, um, delivered mostly by community-based organizations. Um, so transportation, meals, caregiver training, support, respite care, all of these are really critical parts of the dementia care model. Um, and so we, we, you know, we did these um, key opinion leader interviews, we had a round table, all of this started bubbling up. Like if we can define this model, and you'll see a chart in our report that organizes it by setting. Uh, one of the things that's a bit confusing that we acknowledge to in the report is the name of this role, the mental care specialist, which is used in, um, in, in Wisconsin state to reference um, non-licensed care or paraprofessionals. That dementia care specialist is also used in the clinical care model offered by UCLA um, care coordinator. So we wanted to acknowledge that even that, depending on the care models, is um, can be confusing. Dementia care specialist, dementia care coordinator, on and on. But essentially, the role is to be that sort of guide, you know, all along the way, knowing when to escalate and elevate the care, um, when to bring. Um, the person, um, if they if they're evolving or progressing in the dementia care journey, what we might need to do is there medication management? Is there in bringing in the right um, intervention at that time and being part of an interprofessional care team? So really core to that interprofessional care team, care navigator and caregiver, as well as the clinical folks. So um, I hope that answered your question. So yeah, that's fantastic information. And Annalise, can I just jump in right there to kind of piggyback off of what Diane said? You know, this position is a really versatile position. And I think, you know, we talk so much about the unique journey of families that live with dementia. You know, it's a progressive disease that requires different interventions at different stages. And so I think, you know, the care models that Diane mentioned you know, some are more on the medical uh, side of care for, for folks with more advanced needs um, that require, you know, more of medication management, that require more therapeutics. But there's a whole um, group of individuals at early stages that, you know, really need um, access to education, access to um, appointment you know, facilitation among the fragmented uh, specialists that they have to see. And so I think this care navigator, you know, is very versatile in terms of being able to provide those services along that spectrum of of um, the disease journey that a lot of families have trouble navigating. So I just wanted to throw that in there too. And just to piggyback on what Raj said, um, you know, we look at a population health approach. So if you think about like a care pyramid, with the folks at the bottom, as um, Raj mentioned, maybe in that early stage, if they're diagnosed, they might just need more of that 
care and handholding and navigation all the way to the top of the period pyramid where you have more than moderate to um, advanced uh, stage of the disease where you may have behavioral issues and need for therapeutics um, and, and much more care. And so delivered at the higher level of your licensed care professionals like your nurse practitioners, your geriatricians. Um, so yeah, it's a very versatile role. Yeah, I really think that leveraging paraprofessionals is just an amazing part of this set of recommendations. In part because in my experience, I think a lot of our, our paraprofessionals have a great knowledge of the community, often have the trust of, of the community. Yes. And particularly when we're talking about um, marginalized communities, individuals who may have less access to or, or trust in the healthcare system, that could be a, a massive strength. We are actually writing an update to a of one of the other reports we did, which was um, building um, w uh, b building the workforce to improve early detection and diagnosis of dementia. And since then, that came out in um, May of 2021, and we've seen such a sea change going on with, with um, what's going on with the, with the dementia space. Um, and we did a lit review and all, and what's really pointing to you is um, community health workers. To your point, they're from the community, they're trusted, um, they're culturally competent, linguistically capable in many cases, um, and we see such a disproportionate risk of um, people with, with dementia in terms of, um, in, you know, Blacks two times more likely, uh, Hispanics one and a half times more likely. We don't know offhand um, the dementia risks for AAPIs, but Raj and I actually co-authored an article to try to shine a light on the fact that, you know, one size does not fit all. So as we lump AAPIs together in one, one group, there's many different um, um, ethnic backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds within the AAPI community. And we strongly believe that there's disproportionate risk for certain subpopulations of the API. So absolutely, those trusted community workers. And and for listeners outside the U.S., I also want to mention that, you know, uh, Diane, you, you just mentioned that uh, we see that, for instance, Black and African-American patients are twice as likely to have Alzheimer's disease, but tend to be diagnosed much later and much less frequently. We also know that their care partners tend to have a disproportionate burden of caregiving. So they're get caregiving full-time, they're caregiving at later stages of the disease. Um, so I'd love to talk more about how the care navigator might address that specific disparity. Raj, maybe you could tell us a bit more about that. Sure. Um, you know, I think it's so critical to, you know, highlight how complex dementia care is in general. There's, you know, so many specialists that, that families have to see, you know, the issue of access to care is, you know, front and center for, for everyone living with dementia. Um, but I think, you know, there's been longstanding disparities that, um, you know, things like COVID had highlighted that really impact families in underserved communities that are living with dementia. And so, you know, when we talk about underserved communities, you know, we talk about racial and ethnic disparities of which there are major uh, discrepancies, you know, in access to care. We talk about um, rural versus urban access to care. You know, there's a tremendous issue with just being able to um, see primary care physicians in, in, in rural communities. 
And we also talk about, you know, low socioeconomic uh, communities in terms of the cost of care to families. They, you know, they spend more out of pocket than other other communities. And so I think, you know, one of the things that care navigation does is it really highlights the need for a comprehensive approach to dementia care and places the care navigator at the center of that approach. So families often have a hard time engaging with their providers. They have a hard time navigating the multiple um, requirements that are needed in terms of appointments. They have a hard time applying for benefits. And so care navigators can really be that point of contact for families to help with things like applying for benefits that they need for making culturally appropriate uh, referrals into the community. You know, we know that a lot of dementia care takes place outside of uh, formal healthcare systems and really takes place in the community. And, and the access to those community supports was really needed, you know, for individuals and in these diverse communities. And, um, you know, care navigators are trained to understand what uh, uh, is available in terms of um, nutrition access in terms of some of the um, physical interventions that are that are applicable to education to resources for um, you know understanding the modifiable risk factors that are needed and really making that a, a more kind of culturally appropriate uh, with firm um, and so I think those those care navigators like the community health workers that Diane had mentioned you know, represent those families. You know, we in our report make recommendations to um, recruit from underserved communities so that those, those care navigators speak, you know, the language. So that's not a barrier. Um, they can engage compassionately with families and connect them to uh, providers as needed. They can be the voice of caregivers because um, a lot of times caregivers in underrepresented communities experience a higher um, burden to their health. They experience a higher burden in terms of out-of-pocket expenses. And so I think that Care Navigator as kind of the liaison among all the different fragmented um, systems and dementia care really provide you know, more of that access and with the care. Fantastic. Thanks for sharing that. So Diane, your report makes six key recommendations with the first theme focusing on developing a framework for care navigation on dementia care teams. Can you discuss the importance of these recommendations and how they may be effectively implemented? Sure. So yeah, the, um, the first theme was around um, you know, really looking at uh, the dementia care navigator role in the various care settings, which I've already mentioned, the telephone or online, home and community-based and clinical setting. We do this chart that looks at the licensing um, and non-licensing, emphasizing no matter what that area or level of professional or paraprofessional, they need dementia-specific training. Um, and then we have um, our second recommendation was around, and Raj already mentioned this, recruitment efforts to really bolster um, the dementia-trained workforce. So we looked at the, sh the shortages of both primary care physicians and specialists. And when we refer to specialists, there are really four types. There's the neurologist, the geriatric 
psychiatrists, geriatricians, and neuropsychologists. That's defined as by the Alzheimer's Association. We're going to have a shortage of anywhere from 21 to 55,000 primary care physicians by 2032, even more so with geriatricians. Just at a time when our population is, um, is of people over 65 increasing, and with age being the greatest risk factor for dementia, I mean, we really have, and then this obviously echoed with our steering committee with the Alliance, a, a real crisis on our hands. And so Raj already mentioned nurse practitioners, physicians associates, social workers. These are actually parts of our healthcare workforce that are actually growing. And so emphasizing the need to recruit, train, and have them part of these interprofessional care teams is really critical. And then I think the third recommendation or theme one was the need for training curriculum again, all up and down the chain from paraprofessionals to the highest level of professionals who are licensed. And we provide some, you know, recommendations for different programs um, that have been developed and supported, whether we provided online, video, you know, in person, and just tried to show the range. One of the things um, that, that I took away from our um, expert roundtable was, you know, there there is that um, online, there's the video, but until you actually are face-to-face with the person living dementia, with the family. It's like a, it's, it's a journey of one, right? And so the, the need to customize, understand, and, you know, I also um, you think about the care navigator on some of the personal characteristics that we talked about and, and emphasize is, you know, someone who's just by nature, someone who's empathetic, Empathy, um, and boy, that's a that's a characteristic you. It's hard to train for, and it, you just can't, right? And so we look, at, you know, we talk about really looking for that, no matter what level you are, um, and just to see the folks who work in this space that we have the privilege of interacting with uh, through our alliance or through our travels. Um, incredible passion, incredible empathy. And a shared understanding. Many people have the lived experience of having cared for a loved one. Um, and so, you know, kind of the, I wish I had a care navigator when I went through this. You know, you often hear. And then how can we make this um, role available to all as we move forward today and moving forward? Yeah, so much of this really seems to be about translating across the different healthcare systems, across the different settings, across... Uh, cultural boundaries or, you know, there's uh, a lot of versatility required in this role. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things we hear from folks just in terms of, you know, the the workforce and that dementia capable workforce is that these are good jobs. These are jobs that allow individuals a high level of patient access. It allows them to see a career path in front of them. It's just a matter of elevating them within these interprofessional care teams so that their role is made more significant. Their role is kind of placed at the center of the physicians on one side, the community on the other side, the the, the family you know, on the other side. And so I think like Diane had mentioned, recruiting initially is really difficult. We talk to trainers all the time who say, we go through a period of training. The minute, you know, 
the person we're training is in front of a family confronted with some of the you know hard decisions and then hard uh, interactions that take place some of them you know it's not for them they realize but it's the ones with the empathy it's the ones with the lived experience that can overcome a lot of the difficulty and the challenges and we need to do more to professionalize the career path so that people stick with it and you know we talk about things like leveraging existing certifications you know for individuals that you know can can receive that recognition for the care that they do you know formally recognizes a person's skill set it elevates them within the dementia care teams i think things like that are are things that we can do to increase awareness you both mentioned some of the less trainable aspects of a, a successful care navigator. But you also mentioned some certification programs or learning resources that already exist. Are there any that you want to highlight here for those that might be listening and thinking about growing in their skills? Sure. I mean, I could just, there's one, you know, that we really highlighted. It's a certified dementia practitioner certificate that really targets healthcare professionals, clergy, social workers, anybody that's interacting with, you know, people with cognitive decline, it, it provides them with the training and certification um, to, to, you know, just elevate their role again. Um, there's other ones, you know, that we highlight in our, in our report from Care Academy, Healthcare Interactive, that is starting to become um, requirements at the state level for anybody that's going into the home to do, to, to provide care for individuals with dementia and you know there's a certain amount of um continuing education requirements and they're kind of familiar with um symptom recognition triaging disease education uh community referrals um things at that level that can kind of um keep progressing can afford uh, fan base fantastic and I know that the report itself will be linked in the show notes for this episode on the Dementia Researcher website. So for folks looking for those recommendations, I think that they are linked in the report, which is great. So Diane, turning back to you, um, dementia care is uniquely challenging due to the profound impact of Alzheimer's disease and related dementias on cognition, on behavior, on functional capacity, so many different aspects. What are some innovative solutions proposed in your report to address these challenges, especially in terms of supporting both the person living with dementia, but also their care partner? Yes, um, you, re you really um, nailed in on the head in terms of um, the challenges, particularly for the, you know, for the family caregiver um, who really experiences physical, emotional, financial strain through the journey, um, you know, oftentimes needing to you know, leave their work if they're employed outside the home. Um, oftentimes you'll find um, it's a sandwich caregiver who has also caring for children and never thought of themselves and having to prepare for this long journey that can, you know, average between four and seven years and potentially as long as 20. So imagine that. But in, in terms of um, some of the solutions, certainly we advocate for um, the caregiver training, respite care, uh, we're really excited. I know, you know, particularly U.S. focused. We talked a lot about one of the biggest barriers to um, scaling this care navigator role is the payment, the lack of payment. So we have a whole section. The whole theme too is around 
um, you know, the the need for reimbursement, payment, incentives, alignment. Um, and so our report came out in March of 2023. It's already out of date <laughs> because um, in July of this year, very exciting, our Center for Medicare and Medicaid Invasion, CMMI, um, announced this new model called Guide. Um, and, you know, it is... It is really breakthrough. It's an alternative payment model, um, and it, it's it's all and it includes the care navigator role as being part of the interprofessional care team. So guide stands for guiding an improved dementia experience. So it's offering um, a monthly per beneficiary per month payment to support this interdisciplinary um, approach to care delivery must include the care navigator on the team. It includes um, an allocation annually for caregiver respite. Uh, so, you know, I really applaud our colleagues at CMMI for the listening they did. I applaud um, the incredible advocacy work that was done by the Alzheimer's Association that put forth um, this bipartisan legislation called the Comprehensive Care for Alzheimer's Act. We also helped amplify an economic analysis that was commissioned by the Alzheimer's Association and conducted by HealthSperion to show that better dementia care would save the fed, our federal government nearly, I think like $21 billion over 10 years. That's how game-changing, again, putting in place a comprehensive dementia care approach um, can mean. Um, and again, caregiver support, 24/7 access to, to to support this is this is game changing now we're actually just yesterday we saw um, the release of the RFP the request for proposal asking for health systems to um, apply to be part of this demonstration it's going to be eight years so there's a big um, emphasis on making sure that this guide model um, uh, impacts underserved communities also yes health equity is a core to this guide model, which we're excited about. So for folks outside the U.S., um, it may be challenging to understand what a monumental change this is. Could you maybe give folks an idea of how a more classic kind of fee-for-service model might have limited yeah. implementation of this dementia care navigator role yeah. or model? So, you know, and fee-for-service is, you know, you're kind of paying, you're using these CPT codes for all the different things that you're doing as a provider, it didn't cover things like caregiver respite, didn't cover things like caregiver training or, you know, any referrals. So we talk a lot about um, diagnose and adios. That family would be left to just navigate on their own. Not only the medical care, the appointments that Raj referred to, try to find the specialists if needed, and then getting the referrals in the community. That was not compensated. That was not paid for by fee-for-service Medicare and certainly not the dementia care navigator role. And I think our report and certainly these evidence-based models that we highlighted to six of them that show those eight comprehensive um, uh, core elements as part of these evidence-based models, most of those pieces weren't covered. They are now as part of this guide model. So it's really incredible the partnership that went into advocating and, um, you know, CMMI really seeing the, the crisis at hand and, and 
hearing um, story after story of families trying to navigate this tough journey on their own and needing the supports. So this is really, really monumental in the U.S. Raj, one outcome of the global COVID-19 pandemic was this rapid implementation of telehealth. One of the things I really liked about your report was the emphasis on leveraging online technology, technology-based solutions for dementia care navigation. Could you give some examples of how technology and telehealth could aid care navigators in managing the daily tasks and providing virtual support to those living with dementia and their caregivers? Sure. Um, I think it's important to note, first off, with all of the conversations around technology that, <clears throat> excuse me, um, dementia is a very high-touch, high-need um, area that that really requires a lot of um, direct interaction. And I think during COVID, without that direct interaction, we saw tremendous suffering. We saw an increase in excess deaths, you know, as it relates to to Alzheimer's and dementia care. So I think, you know, that level of care is really, really can't be emphasized enough. So that being said, I think there's technologies that we highlight in our report that will give providers and care navigators and other healthcare professionals more of an opportunity to increase that that interaction. And so that's the kind of area of technology that we tried to um, address and try to make a focus of dementia care. And so I think, you know, there's three buckets of, of, um, of technology that we really emphasize. One is around facilitating communication, uh, making sure that families can access providers, can access the information that they're needed, can access community supports that are needed, things like Zoom for telehealth, like you mentioned, is invaluable for caregivers that, you know, can't, that, that need to be in the home, that need to access, you know, their providers, um, you know, in real time almost to address, you know, certain situations. I think the other area of technology that we really talk about is care navigators that can uh, use tools to help track and manage care um, in real time. Um, and so, you know, there's a whole um, need to help coordinate care uh, and manage uh, care among various healthcare professionals. And so this category of tools really helps to streamline care planning, um, helps uh, manage or track medication management, the kind of overall daily activities that, you know, care navigators can then report back to physicians and um, and, and maintain that level of communication with, with families. Um, and I think the third area is really, you know, providing um, forums for peer-to-peer -peer support, you know, for access to information. There's a whole uh, area of virtual support uh, tools that, that are emerging that allow um, care navigators, again, to access information, pass it on to, uh, to uh, families, that need them, that, that is becoming kind of a central um, uh, technology within, uh, you know, within dementia care. And then, because we need to talk about AI, you know, there's a whole world of um, AI tools that are really beneficial to how kind of automate repetitive tasks, you know, that, that, that go on. Um, they can automate scheduling appointments. They can analyze data from health records to raise you know, red flags to help triage um, kind of uh, uh, patient journeys as they go between different stages. 
you know, they can identify when more resources need to be allocated. Um, and then there's a whole world of kind of personalized recommendations, you know, that can be utilized through through some of these machine learning and, and artificial intelligence. Yeah, it's quite incredible to see the AI applications and how they could really revolutionize and enhance the care that we're, we're already giving. So, Diane, before we wrap up, what do you think are the main takeaways from this report and what would you like to see happen next? I mean, I think the main takeaway is the um, game-changing role that a care navigator can have in the dementia care journey, um, benefiting health systems. We, we know that having a care navigator can save costs. Um, and really for that family, uh, the person living with dementia and the family caregiver, you know, again, game-changing to have someone walking alongside them on this journey. So my hope is that, you know, that the guide model, this de- demonstration pro- product uh, project goes very, very well. Um, and, you know, maybe before the eight years, we see wonderful evidence and then can roll this out and scale it, um, you know, to benefit all families. So that's my wish. I'm afraid that is all we have time for today. Don't forget that you can find a link to the report in our show notes. And if you visit the Dementia Researcher website, you'll find a full transcript, biographies on our guests, blogs, and much more on this topic. I'd like to thank our incredible guests, Diane Tai and Rajiv Ahuja, and of course, the Milken Institute for their fantastic work. I'm Dr. Annalise Ramon Filipiak, and you've been listening to the Dementia Researcher podcast. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Bye. The Dementia Researcher podcast was brought to you by University College London with generous funding from the UK National Institute for Health Research, Alzheimer's Research UK, Alzheimer's Society, Alzheimer's Association, and Race Against Dementia. Please subscribe, leave us a review, and register on our website for full access to all our great resources. DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk